Open your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. The choir is going to come down and join you. We've been enjoying the study of Proverbs, chapter 31. We're looking at the picture that God paints of the church in Proverbs, chapter 31. Let's start reading in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And we looked at that the last several weeks. This morning we're going to look at this. She she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. Lord, please help us as we study this passage. Lord, help us to have good understanding of your word and your church and our responsibility in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, don't worry about the time. I know we had our testimonies, and so we're starting a little bit later. I promise you'll be out of here by 3 o'clock. There's no problem. It's just all good. This passage of Scripture, it's just such an amazing thing. If you have not been here for the previous weeks, I'm not going to be able to to review all of the setup to this. But just know that there's only one person in the Bible that is identified as a virtuous woman, and that is Ruth. Ruth is called the virtuous woman in Ruth chapter 3. She is a virtuous woman. Ruth, of course, was a Moabitess. She was a woman from a cursed race, and she was living in a land of famine. She heard that there was a city called Bethlehem where God had visited His people and had given them bread. So she made her way to Bethlehem. She left everything behind, family and possessions, everything she left behind. And she went and she partook of the bread in Bethlehem and she found life. She ended up working in a field and her kinsman redeemer found her working in the field and took her out of the field, made her his bride, and they were able to live happily ever after. Now that's an amazing story, but it is also our story You and I, we are part of a cursed race. The Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So here we are. We are living in a cursed race, the human race. We're separated from the promises of God, living in a land of famine. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that, that we are separated from the promises of God. But we heard that God visited His people in a city called Bethlehem. And Jesus Christ, the bread of life, was born there. And if you will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, leaving everything behind, trusting Him alone, He will give you eternal life. In the parable of the sower, the world is called, the, the field is called the world. So just as Ruth was found laboring in the field, here you and I are now. After you're saved, God sends you out into the world to work for Him. And one day soon, He's going to return to take us out of the world. And we're going to gather together in heaven where we will be married with our husband, the church, the bride of Christ, and then back to earth for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we may look at some of that this morning. So the, so the story of Ruth, the virtuous woman, is our story. And so while on Mother's Day, we looked at the virtuous woman in its historical, grammatical context, it is dealing with a godly woman and how she is to behave, we also understand that the Bible is interpreted historically, doctrinally, and spiritually. So Mother's Day, we looked at it historically, and now we're trying to understand it doctrinally. Now remember what doctrine is. Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. And you understand that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, by comparing things spiritual with spiritual. How do you compare things spiritual with spiritual? Well, Jesus Christ said in John chapter 6, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit 
and they are life. So the way that we understand God's truth in God's words is by comparing His words. The other thing that we've learned is that God is an amazing artist. He paints a beautiful portrait of what the virtuous woman, His church, is to look like. And we've been exploring that. The first thing that we looked at a few weeks ago is her identity, and that is Ruth. And now we have begun looking at her character, her character, her beautiful character. Last week, we saw that she can be trusted and she is responsible. And this morning, here we go. Was that the shortest introduction that I've ever given to a sermon? How many of you are very impressed that I was able to do that today? If you're a guest with us, I struggle with short introductions. So there we are. That, that's a, we're we're going to dive right in. So her beautiful character. We looked at the first two aspects of her beautiful character last week, and that is that she can be trusted. If you look at verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. She can be trusted. And then secondly... She is responsible. She's responsible. It says this, she will do him so that he hath no need of spoil, the end of verse 11, then verse 12. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. The idea is this, when you got married, you said, until death do us part. When you get saved, you commit to serve the Lord Jesus Christ all the days of your life. Amen? Amen. And that's what our church is to do. Uh, I was speaking with uh, someone from a Bible college recently, and how many of you recognize that many religious institutions go bad. How many of you have recognized that that happens? Whether they be churches or colleges, uh, 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 ministries, uh, parachurch organizations, they start out with a biblical purpose and a biblical mandate, and they end up preaching the social gospel. They stop believing the words of Scripture. And those things happen. And uh, so I was talking with the president of the school, and we were just discussing that. And basically, I think that there's only two things that you need to know. Two things that you need to stand on to stay right. You've got to believe every word of the book. Amen. You just believe every word of the King James Bible. Just believe that it is true and you can stay right. And then right division, dispensationalism. Taking the Bible in its context, take it literally, see a distinction between Israel and the church, recognize that when God uses words, He uses them for a purpose. If you will believe that and allow the Bible to inform your doctrine then you can stay right. So we as a church, we can just do right until the Lord Jesus Christ returns if we'll just stay true to the book. Amen? Amen. We can do that all the days of our life. So now, here is new. This is what we're going to dive into. And this is her initiative. She takes the initiative. I have one point today. Bunch of subpoints, but just one point that the virtuous woman takes the initiative. Teenagers, are you awake back there? All right. Alive, alert, awake, enthusiastic. Give me a big amen from the teenagers. Let's hear that. All right. I love that. Oh, man. All right. Get off the tables now. Sit in your chairs. So let's look at verse 13 and see what it says about her. She seeketh wool and flax. She seeketh wool and flax. Now, put a marker here. Make sure that you have a Bible in front of you. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, look, un look at, under the chair in front of you. Uh, there's a Bible provided. Now we're going to trace this down. She seeketh wool and flax. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Her initiative. Isaiah chapter 1. I heard a preacher say one time, two men will never succeed, the man who must be told everything and the man who can be told nothing. 
That's good, isn't it? How many of you work with people that have to be told everything? Those are teachers. I love you school teachers. That's hilarious. Uh, but, but supervisors, you know, you hire somebody and you give them a job and you tell them what to do. Next thing you know, they're doing nothing. Uh, my buddy Dalton, his dad said, used to tell his brothers and his friends, you guys are as useful as a trunk full of dead men. That, have, have you ever known somebody that had no initiative? Right? The, that's not the virtuous woman. As a church, we're supposed to be doing something. As church members, we're supposed to be active. We're to be seeking something. And there's a lot of churches that are working, but the basis of their work is not biblical. So we've got to start with a biblical basis for our work. And let's see what that biblical basis is. Let's see if we can figure it out. Isaiah chapter 1, and look at verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as what? Wool. Wool in the Bible is God's righteousness and God's holiness. Do you know what the virtuous woman does? The virtuous woman seeks after holiness. She is interested in holiness. She cares about her behavior. Now, there are a lot of churches, all they talk about is behavior. You know, anyone ever been to a holiness church? You know, the ladies have the, the, the dresses and the, the bun, right? You know what I'm talking about? And they run everything. Is that true? Now, honestly, am I right? It's exactly, there's a testimony happening down here on the front row. And it's so interesting that things get out of order because of an, a, a misunderstanding of what holiness is. Now, I know people who go to churches that the only thing they care about is your behavior. Every message is on your behavior. And I, I've been in some of those services. It's all about, guys, make sure they get your hair cut. It's all about how you dress. It's all about how you behave. Now, can I tell you something? God cares how you behave. Man, God cares how long your hair is. The Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Is that what the Bible says? So some of you guys need to get a haircut. That's what the Bible says. Shame for a man to have long hair. Well, I don't know if that's exactly what that means. How long is long? If people start asking these questions, you become like the Pharisees. You're debating every little thing. If you look like a girl, it's too long. Is that fair? Of course, now that's getting confusing these days because, you know, whatever. You know, the new G.I. Joe doll, the, it's the transgender G.I. Joe doll. It's called G. I don't know. So we want to make sure that the church is not like that. And so people can get so hung up on so many different things when the, the, and, and you start making your lists, right? And if you, you know what I'm talking about? You walk into a church and you can tell that they have this menu of behaviors, you know that that menu, obeying that menu, has nothing to do with holiness? If we have to give you a list of behaviors, if you do this, 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 and this, then you're godly. Well, here's what happens. Francis Schaeffer said, when you take away the list, all of a sudden you're confronted with the whole counsel of God. And you know what that teaches you is holiness. So let's, let's just be real clear on something. Just because I don't speak on women's dress standards every Sunday, okay, I don't do that. We do talk about holiness, and the Bible talks about modesty, right? And as a lady, ladies, if they're going to be modest and holy, then it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and a care about how her dress influences those people around her for or against holiness. Isn't that right? 
I don't think the Holy Spirit has ever looked, told you ladies as you're looking in the mirror that your shirt's not tight enough. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not, not saying, find spandex. That's your number one clothing article. So, so I don't think that's coming from the Holy Spirit. That's not coming from the Spirit of God. How many of you would agree with that? Say amen. Teenagers, how many of you agree with that? Say amen. Amen! That's right. And so while we don't harp on those things all the time, neither do we say we are not, here, here's a technical word, we're not antinomian. We don't believe that you can do whatever in the world you want to and it doesn't matter. If you're saved, you can do whatever you want to and go to heaven. But while you're on earth, God is going to chasten you. You're going to have to bear the responsibility and the results for your behavior. The Bible does give us specific teaching on what holiness is when it comes to clothing. Amen? Men, our behavior, we're to be holy. That means we're not following our flesh. We're not living in lust. We're not living in greed. We're not doing those things. And yet we don't speak on that every week. What we're trying to do is make sure that our, our goal is not some physical standard. Our goal is the holiness of God. We're, we're to seek after that. It, we're to take the initiative and we're to care. One of the things, go to Revelation chapter 3. You don't have to stay in Isaiah, but go to Revelation chapter 3. And there's a description that's given of the church at Laodicea. Now, remember, the church at Laodicea, that really is the period of time that we're living in. Revelation chapter 3, and look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So he doesn't criticize the church at Laodicea for wrong doctrine. They have the right statement of faith. They just don't care about it. There's no passion. There's no zeal. There's no initiative. She seeketh wool and flax. She's going out to find it. We are to have a passion. We're to order our lives to pursue righteousness and to pursue holiness and to care about what's going on in the world. Now, i got to say, if you care too much about the news, my goodness, I've had to stop. I can't watch the news. There's so much craziness going on in the world. I would not be fit for company. You know what I mean? You just can't be around me when I'm watching that stuff. I get so mad. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be aware of what's going on in the world. But I'm not supposed to allow what's going on in the world to distract me from my job. I'll tell you an experience that I had. Um, we went to, uh, well, let me set it up with this. The Pastor Nathan and Shauna and Ty and Diana, they work with the young people about their behavior, with the young ladies, about how they ought to dress as godly ladies in the world. And don't, aren't you glad there are people doing that with your children? Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? Um, and, you know, I would notice periodically that some of our girls were not dressing the way that we as a church believe that they ought to. And I went to a high school um, concert, Sydney High School concert, and it helped me so much because compared to the clothing that I saw represented there, our girls are doing great. Right? Uh, how many of you think that the little black dress is appropriate for a godly lady. 
No, but that's what was evident. These girls were dressed up at the concert. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Honestly, it is the picture 20 years ago of what a prostitute would wear. This is what we're seeing on, on young people out in public today. How many of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about? Know exactly what I'm talking about. And so our young ladies, and it was so encouraging to me because our young ladies were trying to model godliness and holiness. But here's the problem. They're comparing themselves to the wrong standard. The right standard is the holiness that is pictured in Christ and in the Scriptures, not to the people around them. That helped me a lot, and it's a good way to communicate it to our young people. Don't you agree with that? It's a really good way to communicate. Let's not compare ourselves to others. The Bible says, and some are of the number comparing themselves among themselves. That's not wise. That's not wise. We compare ourselves to the Scriptures, and we pursue and we seek holiness. Um, what is flax? Flax is spun into linen. Go to Revelation chapter 19. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't finish Revelation 3. Quit distracting me. Look at Revelation chapter 3. And look at the way he describes in verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And, and we really don't need anything, do we? None of us. Some of you are hungry now, you know, but you're not really hungry. Is, is that fair? Unless you're dieting, and then I understand. All right. But only in America, our problem is too much food. Right? So, look, and know us not, and that, that is the perfect description of Christianity today, know nothing. Don't know anything about the Bible, don't know anything about His Word, don't know anything about His truth. You look at the Barna surveys of Christians. Uh, go to George Barna's website and look at the surveys of evangelical Christians and their biblical knowledge. It's shameful. All right? Then look at what it says. So, and know us not that thou art wretched, so we don't know that we're, that we're sinners in our flesh, Miserable without the cross. If, uh, if Christ be not raised, we are of all men most, most miserable. And so the power of the resurrection and poor. So we think that we have everything we need, but we're spiritually poor and blind. Blindness in the Bible is always, you don't understand the scriptures. Now there's physical blindness, but spiritual blindness is you, you just don't have any discernment. How many of you recognize that a huge problem in Christianity is a lack of discernment? Would you all agree with that? See, and we get that answer by putting the exclamation points where God does. We emphasize what God emphasizes. We find out how He wants us to live and what He wants us to do. So wretched and miserable and poor and blind. And what's that last one? Naked. Naked. Christian people walk around without clothes on. It's crazy. Now, how many of you can tell that your old-time hellfire and brimstone fire-breathing preacher would like to camp there for a few minutes. <laughs> it's summertime. The weather gets warm, and people take their clothes off. So how about we do this? We have a baptistry. If we fill it up, why don't all you could just come in your underwear? What's the difference? Come on, folks. Let's not be naked. Let's keep our clothes on. How many of you agree with that? You think that's a good idea? Amen. All right. So now, that, that, that's the description of Christianity. That's the description of that Laodicean church and the period of time that we live in. Now, some of you might be a visitor here, and you're thinking, what in the world? What kind of cult did we just... We're not a cult, but there is a vat of Kool-Aid downstairs that we're going to go drink after we're done. No, we're, 
we're just talking about holiness. How many of can, can you all help me? Because I know we do have some folks that, that are visitors or whatever. Can you all help me? How many of you think that Christians ought to be clothed in public? Would you say amen? Amen. 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 That's where we are. Okay. Now, go to Revelation chapter 19. Wool and linen. She seeks wool and linen. Of course, we know the church is the bride of Christ. And here in Revelation 19 and verse 7, she's getting ready. Look at what it says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine, what? Linen, clean and white. Now, here's something that's so interesting. Look at what it says. For the fine linen is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Did I say something wrong? What is it? It's the righteousness of the saints. So here's what happens. Jim Alter, I have no righteousness of my own. That's why I need Jesus Christ. The Bible says that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isn't that interesting? So I cannot come to God in my own righteousness. I can't come to Him living a certain way in hopes of going to heaven because I have no righteousness to bring Him. Is that right? Is that what the Bible says very clearly? So what happens when I get saved? I am clothed in His righteousness. I'm clothed in His righteousness. Isn't that a blessing? So when God looks at me now, He doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 he, know, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus Christ, was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So I have Christ's righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? And because of that, now I am able to do righteousness. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. But after I'm saved, look at Ephesians chapter 2. We looked at this last week, Ephesians chapter 2. And look at verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, we all know that, right? That you, you can't be saved by your works. You can only be saved by grace. That's the gift of God through faith. So God gives the gift and you acquire that gift by faith. Is that the clear teaching of Scripture? Amen. Amen. But look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand. So the, the Judaizers, they were living a certain way, and the Gentiles didn't live like them, so they were called the uncircumcision. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So that's just like Ruth was out in the world. She was alienated from the promises of God because those promises were made to Israel. Are we clear on that? That's the same way we were. We're out in the world. We're without hope because the only hope for man is Jesus Christ and salvation through Him. Is that right? So now after we meet Him, we come to Him by faith. He gives us salvation by grace. But then we are to do good works. Go back to Revelation 19. 
she seeketh after wool and flax. Look at verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 8. Revelation 19, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So at the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're saved, you're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There are a group of people that are called Baptist briders. They believe that only Baptists are the bride of Christ and everyone else are the guests because the passage talks about inviting the guests. So if you're here and you are not baptized in a Baptist church, you're not a part of the bride. You are going to be a guest. That's not what the Bible teaches. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, here's the good news. When we all get to heaven, we will be uh, Baptist. But there's just... Um, what was the pastor's name at Northtown? About 15 years ago, Harry. What was the preacher's name? No. Ellis. Pastor Ellis. And he and I were good friends. And he said to me one time, he said, man, it's so good that we can be friends, you know, because he's Church of God and I'm, I'm Baptist. And, man, there was not a greater soul winner than I knew than Brother Ellis. I'm sure he still is. And I told him, I said, it's good because we're both going to be Baptist in heaven anyway. And he just looked at me and he, he just went like this. We do not believe that it's only going to be Baptists in heaven. The body of Christ is made up of everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. Amen? It doesn't matter if they ever get to go to church. It doesn't matter if a person places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, they're baptized by the Holy Spirit of God, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, into the body of Christ. And then, according to Colossians chapter 1, they're seated with Christ in heavenly places. They are in Him, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, that God ordained before the foundation of the world. He predestinated us that we would be conformed to His image. How? That we would be in Him. We are in Christ. We are His body. That's true. That is true. And it doesn't matter. It does not matter for that subject what church you're baptized in. Now, baptism matters. Baptism identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ. It identifies you with His death, burial, and resurrection. It identifies you with a local New Testament church and the doctrine that that church teaches. Baptism identifies you with all of those things, but none of those things have anything to do with whether or not a person is in Christ, whether or not a person is saved. Amen? Now, it's really important that we get this. All of us who are saved will be a part of that marriage supper of the Lamb. And here it says she's prepared herself. She's made her ready. And what is she clothed in? White linen. And what is that white linen? It's the righteousness of the saints. Do you know what you're doing right now? You're making your wedding dress. You're making your wedding dress. Remember, Christ clothes us in His righteousness for salvation. Here it says that your garment, your garment at the marriage supper of the Lamb is your righteousness. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, well, look at uh, Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 18. Remember, they don't know that they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyes have that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Be zealous, therefore, and repent. It's so clear. You see, here's the problem. There are a lot of people who are going to get to heaven. The Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ, that, that our works are tried there. No, our work. See, at the great white throne judgment, God is going to judge people according to their works. You know there are people that think they're going to get to heaven by their works? You know that? Well, there's only one, there's only one place they get to go. According to Revelation chapter 20, it's the lake of fire. Is that right? Well, our work, what you've done for the Lord, is judged at the judgment seat of Christ if you're saved. And it's tried. And it's tried by fire. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned. If it's gold, silver, and precious stones, it's going to remain. It's tried by fire. Is that right? Well, some people's works, when they're tried, they're going to come out of that naked. The Bible says that they're saved, yet so as by fire. My dad said they were swinging over hell on a banana peel. (laughs) They made it, but they end up smelling like smoke. They just, they have nothing. Remember the old song, must I go in, enter empty-handed? Can you imagine at the judgment seat of Christ where rewards are handed out if based on the work that you've done for the Lord, you have absolutely nothing to present your king? You have no rewards to give to him. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's no dress. There's no wedding garment. Nakedness. That's going to be shameful. It's shameful. And there are a lot of Christians who are not seeking after wool. They're not seeking after flax. They're not pursuing righteousness and true holiness. The Bible says, without which no man can see God. We are so distracted by everything in the world that we can't seek after that true righteousness and the true holiness. The virtuous woman, she seeketh after wool and flax. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I think this sermon has become a two-parter. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 15. But as he which hath, what's that word right there? Called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Can I ask you a question? Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing holiness? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 12. Just quoted this verse a minute ago. Look at verse 14. Follow peace with all men. Hebrews 12 verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected and found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now look, it's so important that we get this. Man, you can destroy your life as a believer. You can destroy your life. Follow peace and holiness. Take the initiative. Go to Matthew chapter 5. This is the rules, king, the king's rules for the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 6. 
Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God pursuing righteousness and holiness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1. So the Bible's been giving the promises that we as believers have in Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Wouldn't that be a good thing for us as believers to do? To be holy? To, 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 to have that, that fear of God that causes us to say, God, I love you. I love you so much that I want to be holy and pure for you. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto, what's it say? Holiness. Church, Grace Baptist Church. Remember, the church is not this building. We all know that. Is that right? You all agree with that? Amen. Grace Baptist Church is made up of individuals. As an institution, I hope that we're holy. I hope that, that the, our community knows that Grace Baptist Church is a place where God is known and worshipped and feared. That'll only be as we individuals who are members, we make up Grace Baptist Church if we're holy. So let me ask you this question. How's your initiative? Are you seeking after holiness? Are you seeking after righteousness? Are you, are you called to cleanness rather than uncleanness? Let's finish with this. Go to Psalm 139. This sermon kind of reminds me, Harry Truman was known as a man of very few words. And the, someone asked him, he had come back from church, and someone said to him, where did you go? He said, church. Really, what did the preacher preach on? Sin. What did he have to say about it? He was against it. <laughs> That's this sermon, isn't it? Look at Psalm 139 and look at verse... 16, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God! I, think, I always think those passages so funny. I mean, it's such a beautiful passage, and then it goes into this. Surely, I picture Gollum, you know. Precious, surely thou wilt slay the wicked. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Can I tell you something? I think 
that that understanding of evil, that attitude toward evil, I think that's absent from 21st century Christianity. Would you all agree with me on that? Do you hate evil? Do you hate those that are doing evil? Now, when you start entering into hate, how many of you think you've got to be very careful? All right? And that's why the next verse that everybody knows is in your Bible. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That way everlasting, isn't that an interesting word? The, the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the, the, the ways of death. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How does that fit with us? The Apostle Paul, go to Acts chapter 8. Look at verse 3. As for Saul, that's Paul before he was saved. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. So what does he do? He's persecuting the church. He held the coats for those early in the chapter when they were coming after, when they were stoning Stephen. Paul later, when he was giving his testimony talking about his own salvation. If you look at chapter 19, I'm sorry, it's chapter 22. So here is Paul, chapter 22 and verse 1. He says, Men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted, look at what he says, this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The Apostle Paul then said that he made havoc of the church. And was he, the Bible says that he made havoc of the church. And then when he describes it himself, he says he persecuted this way. What does God want you to do? He wants you to serve Him in the local New Testament church seeking holiness and righteousness. That's the church that God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. That's who we are to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You again.